Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity. Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Goldberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome to Le Bourgeois, the final official English language League and Uber Eats podcast of the season. We finally got to the end of it. No, not my massive opening sentence, but the end of the 2022-23 season. PSG finishing with a whimper as they say goodbye and good riddance to Lionel Messi. Who'd have thought that? Marseille fans will miss Igor Tudor. Who'd have thought that at the start of the season? While Les Canaries remain on their perch, but only just as, sorry Angus, Corsair are relegated at nonce expense. And very, very few thought that before Saturday's final round of games. It's a bumper crowd in this morning for the final podcast of the season. So please say hello to Luke Entwistle, Angus Terode, and Andy Scott for our final pod of the campaign. <laughs> can, I, I was just wondering, can you be relegated at somebody else's expense? I, I, I think that's probably just a total misnomer, but you know what I mean. Well, at the opposite end of the table, then, that's where we are going to start. Paris Saint-Germain, of course, had wrapped up the title. Lens were already into the Champions League group stages for next season. Marseille were slightly disappointingly finishing in third, at least for them. But the battle for the remaining two European places was very much on. Rennes, Lille and Monaco all in the hunt for the two places. A key game was at the Stade Francis Leblay. Brest against Rennes, a Breton derby to finish. So Andy, Rennes getting the win to get into the Europa League, finishing in fourth then in the campaign. More on uh, how Lille managed to uh, miss out on that in a little bit of uh, time. But uh, Andy, Rennes, worthy fourth place finishes this season and uh, worthy winners at the weekend? Uh, yeah, worthy winners at the weekend. They've had a they've had a, a good finish to the season. They won the last four games. Um, a team with tremendous attacking potential, and we saw that in in the the three matches prior to this one, which they scored eleven goals and conceded none. Uh, and then at the weekend, they only conceded a goal from, from a penalty, and 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 they got a couple of penalty themselves to win it. So um, it's it's a team of great potential, despite the injury problems that they've had this season. I know we've talked endlessly on this podcast about the impact that losing Martin Terrier has had on them but um, I, I mean are, are they worthy fourth place finishers I think possibly just about I think um, Monaco's collapse obviously helps with that um, I think they certainly deserve to be in Europe again I think they're a club who have um, firmly established themselves as as regular European uh, qualifiers at six consecutive years now that they're they're going to be playing in, in European competition Um I thought it was interesting what Bruno Genesio said last week ahead of ahead of the game at the weekend. He said that um, in some respects, you know, maybe, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said that maybe being in the Europa Conference League wouldn't be such a bad thing for them because when you look at some of the clubs in the Europa League, it might be quite difficult for Rennes to make a big impact. I mean, just off the top of my head, Roma, Liverpool, um, you know, clubs of that ilk playing in the Europa League mean that, that winning that competition and that's a stretch, obviously, anyway. But winning that competition is is going to be a big ask for a club like Rennes. But the Europa Conference League, they would probably go into it with ambitions of, of going 
going really far. Now they're in the Europa League group stage. In terms of finances, it's better for them. Um, and I think they can do something in that competition. They've got to aim to make the, the knockout stages. But, you know, it's been a bit of a, a little bit of an up and down season for them. They actually lost 10 out of 19 games after the after the World Cup before winning their final four matches. So a little bit up and down. Part of that is Bruno Genesio never playing for a draw. They've only drawn one game since the World Cup. So I think there's an element of that. Um, probably on the whole, they just about deserve fourth place. Really good at home. Really good attacking players, um, you know, a club who's who've spent big in recent times, and and a club who who can do something in 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 Europe. So um, yeah, I think on the whole, I would say that they, they they deserve it. I've got to, I've got to say this. I think this is the interesting thing about Ren is that they have had a a long term owner in the in the Pino family, and uh, the Pino family, if you don't know, uh, people are uh, they're extremely well off, uh, shall we say? They've they've they've. The self-made self-made man is uh, Francois Pino. Uh, came through from Brittany, local man, huge amounts of money. Hasn't exactly ploughed all of it into Ren. It, it it has to be said. But I think probably the question for me is how far how far off Ren are, are, are from being genuine contenders. I, I think it's difficult to say title contenders because obviously PSG are quite a way ahead of, of 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 everybody else despite what we've seen this season but Ren surely Angus are, are pretty close to being genuine runners up contenders shall we say yes and um they they showed what they were capable of when Martin Terrier was fit and they took a little while to actually get used to the fact that he wasn't around anymore they've recovered towards the end of the season but when he comes back fit again if he can refine the kind of that he had before, then yeah, I, I quite agree. They they will be very, very impressive. Benjamin Borjo had a very good season again. Perhaps not as many assists this time around as last, but he was still influential out there on the right-hand side, and that needs to continue for them. And uh, they seem to be, you know, they seem to be quite consistent. I mean, they're, they're not going to win the league unless they find some serious investment, but they're, they're, they seem to be a team that is generally well-run. They found a way to um, overcome the uh, the absence of Terrier. Uh, Armin Guiri should be, I think, in his second season next time around, and he'll have his um, his knees underneath the desk a little bit more, if you like, next season, and maybe he'll find some of the uh, form that he had in his earlier days at Nice, and they should be dangerous, yeah. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting point to put to, to Luke, because I mean, Guiri uh, had a brilliant first season at Nice, and then, well, he, he, he just left those legs uh, under the desk in the second season, I, I think, because he didn't he didn't really do anything, did he, Luke? No, I mean he he had a really yeah very 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 poor second season, but you know he wasn't the only one under Galtier. He's he's a player who likes to express himself, who likes to go on you know very winding runs, and and that's not what Galtier wants of him. It's not what he really wants of of many players. Which is funny that he ends up with Mbappe and Messi this year and, and Neymar. But but there you go. But yeah, I mean when he left Nice, I think there was still this perception that. Ren had got the better side of the deal, you know, with Gaetan Laborde coming to Nice and him going there. I think there's this perception that they've really let someone go. Um, but I think at least from this first season, I think Nice now feel like they've got the better side of the deal. Laborde, top scorer for Nice this season, uh, very, very effective, uh, either through the middle or, or on the right, but kind of playing as a striker, but on the right-hand side, it's worked really well for them. I think without Laborde, I mean, it's already a poor season for Nice, but it would have been even worse. But Guiri... <laughs> I mean, he, he's one of those, obviously, at Lille as well, that he is, he is very much kind of shown 
things in his past, like lots of, of, Leo, of Leon players have, you know, coming through the academy, but not, has not necessarily delivered on the potential uh, in the long term. But, you know, still very, very young. So Ren finishing in fourth then on 68 points. That means the, the leapfrogged Lille on the final day of the season because Lille somehow failed to get a win at uh, already relegated 3-1-1 uh, for them. Patrick Kisnobo ending on a, well, not on a high, not on a low either, but uh, the Australian 21 matches winless uh, for Twa. No wins at all in charge for Kisnobo. He'll hopefully do better in League 2 next season if he's still there. Um, Monaco missing out again. Mr. Entwistle. What on earth? Philippe Clement, uh, shall we say, relieved of his duties. Kel, no surprise there uh, on Sunday evening. Um, he was he was looking at a brown bag, uh, i.e. the sack, quite some time ago, I, I, I would have thought. He's finally got it. Um, Monaco missing out. Although, although it seems to be, as, as Frenchie from uh, Evreux points out, my friend uh, Romo uh, points out, that... Uh, is it going to be Monaco in sixth place who would qualify uh, instead of Toulouse? It would be, wouldn't it, uh, gentlemen? I'm getting nods nods all round, which is uh, highly unusual for me. Um, but Monaco, they could sneak in then by the very, very backest of backdoors um, into the Europa League if Toulouse are not allowed to play because of AC Milan and their joint ownership. But Luke, Monaco missing out, Lille in fifth is, again, I asked as I, I asked uh, Andy, is that about is that about right? I mean, not for the talent in the squad, um, and you know, not based on what we saw for probably about three quarters of the season. I mean, this this second, this kind of very very end of the season, one win in your last seven games, including five defeats in that time. It's it's awful, isn't it? Uh, I mean, it, it's been quite curious with with Philippe Clement because I mean, obviously, as in the press, we've been kind of assuming that the sack has been coming, but you put you put the question to him every every week and he says you know i'm having you know positive conversations with the management and you know we're working on next season and that only changed i'd say in the pre-match press conference uh for this final match and then there's a, a bit of a i'd say an air of resignation going into the post-match press conference as you kind of imagine and he said you know he said you know i'm, I'm just tired <laughs> I'm, I'm tired at this point and then a few hours later it's over so he now gets time for a, for a good amount of rest in the summer um maybe that's what he wanted I was just about to say, Luke, that, that that's that's pretty much like our approach to the podcast. So everybody, everybody comes into this one tired, but it's just in a few hours, it's all over. Exactly. Um, just a quick, just a quick note from that: Monaco won to lose two. Uh, Reese Healy, nice to see him back from his uh, cruciate ligament injury that he sustained right at the start of the season. The very last goal of the campaign for Reese Healy, fit again. So uh, hopefully he'll be back and firing next season for Toulouse, who, for my money, were one of the most entertaining sides in Ligue 1 this, this season. Talking about being tired and, and it, it, it soon being uh, all over, Igor Tudor, that was his kind of mantra for saying that I'm going to quit uh, Marseille. Monaco need a new coach. Paris Saint-Germain officially still have Christophe Galtier for a year, but I think pretty much that everyone's accepted that he isn't staying. The current chat and, and a big front page of L'Equipe this morning on Monday morning in France is uh, Nagelsmann, a Nagelsmann and Thierry Henry joint ticket. Gentlemen, does, uh, Andy Scott, does that get the juices flowing? Yeah, I mean, I so I saw this yesterday. I was, you know, I was off yesterday, sort of recovering from, from a busy night on Saturday and, and, and not paying too much attention to, to the news. But then I did see 
yesterday evening the the, the stories of um that that Julian Nagelsmann and and Thierry Henry was 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 the the target for PSG as a management team and it got me thinking well that is exciting i mean um you know listen there's been a lot of talk about Jose Mourinho um that would be exciting as well it might be a little bit insufferable I, i'm not sure what the the antics in the Europa League final uh, have done for Mourinho's chances of 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 getting PSG job or any other sort of major frontline job at a massive European club. But what we'll see, um, just because they're saying this morning that Nagelsmann is the target, doesn't, of course, mean that he's definitely going to be the PSG coach when the season starts at the beginning of August. But I can understand why Nagelsmann is 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 a target. I mean, he's a very, um, very intelligent, very, um, you know, very interesting character, um, a, a manager with, fabulous potential it didn't work out from a Bayern but often that can happen I mean when he was appointed by Bayern I did think he's very young the chances are this will not work out and and then where does he go and he probably deserves a crack at a a massive club and it's and it's not a surprise that he might move outside of France and it's understandable that he would look to somebody like Thierry Henry because he needs a francophone assistant working with him and Henri is is the kind of um, figurehead that I think you know the, the PSG uh, big wigs would, would appreciate having on board I mean he's got an incredible football brain he's appreciated as a number two even though his job at Monaco didn't work out as hoped so I mean they, they, they could be a great managerial team but listen I mean it's it's incredibly early days we, we don't yet know what's going to happen as we're talking this morning at 10 o'clock on this Monday morning Christophe Galtier is still the the coach of Paris Saint-Germain, so so we don't want to speak too soon. I mean, it's widely accepted that he's not going to still be there. Um, and Nagelsmann is, in terms of the names that have been floated, I would say that he is one of the one of the sort of you know best candidates that I've I've heard in terms of of the names that have been floated. But you know, it's it's a very difficult job, Paris Saint-Germain. It's an incredibly hard job in which to succeed. We've seen that with the last two managers. I think we probably all thought that things would work out a little bit better for Galtier than they have done. It's not worked out for him. It was incredibly flat with Pochettino when we thought that he might potentially be a great appointment. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see We'll see what happens, whether it's Nagelsmann or somebody else. But certainly he's, that kind of managerial ticket certainly sets, sets the juices flowing. Yeah, that's for sure. I think, uh, Ian, um, as well, that um, the fact that uh, Kylian Mbappe is um, said to have a very good relationship with Thierry Henry as well would, certainly helped because, I mean, Mbappe obviously became much more important in the club when he signed his mega deal to stay rather than go to Real Madrid last season. The only thing against uh, Julian Nagelsmann is that despite his massive success at Hoffenheim when he became coach of the year in Germany and then success at uh, RB Leipzig, the, one of the reasons why he left Bayern was that he lost the senior players in the uh, the dressing room. And so he's still relatively young. He's 35 now rather than 28 when he started off in Germany, but whether or not he's learned something from that, because it's not an easy dressing room to deal with at Paris Saint-Germain, so it will be a big test. Maybe that's why they're getting rid of players that are of the same age or older than Nagelsmann, so to give him a bit more control. I mean, I, I just, of course, but I mean, obviously, Sergio Ramos is now leaving, Messi is now leaving, some of those very, very experienced uh, cadre, your, your kind of key core players are kind of moving on, I suppose. Uh, this summer, and, and it will be a younger squad next season. And I mean, lots of the players that have been linked there. I mean, I'm sure we'll go through them. But Ugarte today, who's been linked with with going there, you know, a young player. They're clearly going for young profiles, and I suppose that 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 age of being 35 isn't 
quite so awful if all of your players are under the age of 24, I suppose. Yeah, well, there's a lot of talk in France about uh, Manuel Ugarte uh, from from Sporting Lisbon. He's in his sort of mid to early early to mid to 20s. Lucas Hernandez is a bit older as well, actually coming in from Bayern. And I noticed that Benjamin Pavar has said to Bayern he's not going to extend his contract beyond the end of uh, next season, which means that he is probably uh, up for being uh, up for being sold this summer. I, I could honestly, I could quite easily see Hernandez and Pavar both. Coming, coming to to PSG. Um, I think the only thing that slightly concerns me in reading Lequipe this morning is that apparently Luis Campos wanted to still work with Galtier, and the words in Lequipe were basically, "But Qatar wanted to take charge of the matter." It seems to me that that has been the problem for PSG in recent seasons, and I never, ever, ever understand why owners cannot put aside their own egos and say. Uh, we've appointed a guy who has a proven track record in Campos, a proven track record in Galtier. We've got to let them work. And uh, it seems a lot for all that Nagelsmann and Henri sounds exciting. He, he Honestly, he hasn't got the record of Galtier. And uh, if we're going to have interference again from owners, um, is it going to work out? And if you get rid of all the experienced players, what happens when they get knocked out in the Champions League quarterfinals next season? It's a squad lacking in experience, and, and we off we go again. Back on the managerial merry-go-round, we're getting off uh, the 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 full Ferrari and onto the prancing horse that is Marseille, because Igor Tudor has uh, basically had enough. And I don't know about you guys, uh, but this this took me this took me by surprise. I certainly didn't expect to see Igor Tudor stepping down after after just a year, saying that one year at Marseille is like two to three years elsewhere, which is. Seems to me that rings a bell from a, a former a former Marseille coach uh, as well. Luke, you got a you got a big smile in your face. Did you did you see that one coming? I mean, yeah, this just seems to be a one season place. I mean, Jorge Sampioli, it, it, it went in the same direction, didn't it? I mean, it seems like the problems are kind of everywhere. It's backroom. It's it's with just the club. It's a fiery club. It it demands a lot emotionally. I think um, just mentally, it, it just really seemingly takes a toll. And I mean, you saw Tudor by the end, and he wasn't the same Tudor that that came through the door. Uh, less than 12 months earlier, I, I think it just really takes a toll. You know, all of the, the management behind the scenes is clearly a lot to deal with, clearly a lot of disagreement because that's that's why Sampaioli went out uh, a year prior to that. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, I wasn't too surprised, but I think it's just very, very kind of indicative of how difficult it is that Tudor didn't even muster the the strength to do his final post-match press conference and his assistant and said, you know, that's, uh, I think that kind of says it all. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I suppose the difficulty is finding his replacement because it's obviously a very, very attractive job, but it's clearly one that takes its mental toll. And, you know, which manager wants that and, and at, you know, which manager and at what stage in their career do they want to take that kind of job? Because it's um, it's certainly not an easy one. Well, there is, there is one guy who, who was asked about that job in his uh, final pre-game press conference of the season at the end of last week, and that's Christophe Galtier. Uh, the, the the Marseille job was actually I mean, it wasn't specifically asked if he was going to become the Marseille manager, but it was uh, mentioned to him during that press conference just just before, like just before Igor Tudor actually said he was stepping down. Um, so Galtier is maybe going to be on the market. He comes from Marseille. It would be it would be a massive uh, two fingers up, I suppose, to PSG in some respects if they if they turn around and say right, we'll we'll have him. Uh, but then again, I'm not entirely sure how the Marseille public would would uh, welcome Galtier, given um, given that he's 
just been at PSG, but obviously again, it's just conjecture. It's you know we've got no. I mean, obviously Pablo Longoria, the president, and and Javier Ribalta, who works alongside him, they're both Spanish, and they've both got um you know great knowledge of the Italian market. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they if they turn back to Italy, or perhaps to Spain. I mean, one of the names that's been linked is Marcelino, who was who was um, the coach of Valencia and did very well there and has been on the market for a while and, and obviously Pablo Longoria has got links to Valencia so it, it might be it might be that they, they look to, to Spain or Italy once again we just don't know we just don't know It's interesting that you say it's just conjecture Andy because uh, surely that as as football journalists that's absolutely <laughs> our bread and butter I mean we just, we just don't deal in fact but it seems to me and here's some conjecture for you that the only team the only team in the top six this season who are certain to, uh, for me, to certain to have the same coach as last season is Bru- is is Ren and Bruno Genesio because I'm not even sure. I'm not sure Paulo Fonseca is going to stay. I'm not sure even that Frank Ez is going to stay, given what may happen in the transfer market this summer, and with a view to what he said about having a, a competitive team in the in the Champions League. So that is that's going to be particularly. It's going to be particularly interesting to watch. Uh, what goes on right around uh, those top six clubs. Outside of the top six, Nice three, Lyon one. Nice finishing on a high, Lyon finishing pretty much as they've meant to go on since the, uh, since, since the World Cup under, under Laurent Blanc, who is likely to continue. Didier Degas, though, reports in France that he will not continue. Um, Regis Labrice, or oh, here's a name for you, Davide Ancelotti, mm. linked linked in Le Keep. Uh, Angus, can you see Ineos giving an untried man who's been assistant coach to, well, his dad for, for, for quite some time, originally the, originally the fitness coach at uh, Paris Saint-Germain, I believe, when he was in his early 20s when Carla was in charge there. I mean, that's, a, that's at least a name that sounds good, but is. untried, untested, and in charge of that Ineos project? And in charge of uh, data and tactical analysis. So maybe we'll see them going down the same sort of lines as maybe Toulouse in terms of um, the way they uh, take on players. It, it's an interesting one. I think uh, that Graham Potter is probably... Uh, a be- he could well be coming in. And Ineos are very keen on him. And why not? I mean, OK, things didn't work out for him at Chelsea. But you can't forget the success that he had. Um, with Brighton and going to Nice might actually be a better profile with regards to Brighton than say Chelsea was at the point which is like a massive major club that is expected to win Premier Leagues, Champions Leagues which uh, they have done and it could be a a growing project at Nice it it clearly is because they seem to have gone backwards since um, uh, Christophe Galtier left Um, but yeah Davide and Charlotte, I must admit, I sort of sat back in my chair when I, I read that. And I wonder how many phone calls Carlo Ancelotti is going to be making to try and make that happen. <laughs> Although it would mean them splitting up at Real Madrid. I mean, you, you talk about kind of putting ego aside earlier, Ian, and, and, you know, the ownership not interfering with these kind of process. Well, this, you know, this is another case of it here, isn't it? Because, I mean, all the reporting here is that Ineos want Graham Potter and that Florence Zolfi and Borke, they want Regis Labrie. So, I mean... You've got quite a clear conflict here, completely different profiles, completely different levels of experience. Um, I mean, you bring in Gisolfi, who is kind of the mastermind of this launch project, who's built it over the space of a few years, and then you don't give him the power to actually have the impact that you want him to have at at Nice. So I I think this is kind of obviously a recurring 
power battle between the powers that be at Nice and Enels, who are kind of in in some ways slightly different entities and who don't have the same kind of view on who should be brought in and of just the sporting projects in general. So this is something that it's definitely to look out for in the summer and and beyond, I'm sure, as well. Just a little aside on Graham Potter, though, because he is still attracting a lot of attention in the Premier League and Leicester City are reported to have launched another bid to take him on. And Graham Potter himself is meanwhile saying that he quite fancies having a rest. So Nice would have to throw, I think, quite a lot of money in onto the table if they were to to, to pry him away from another Premier League appointment. Well, if he does go to Nice, he'll have, he certainly have plenty of, of quality talent to work with. Uh, the youngster Badradine uh, Buonani, who's come through this season, I think he's a he's a superb young player, and I, I I'm looking forward to seeing him at the uh, under twenty one Euros soon. Terra Moffi with eighteen goals this season, uh, not all of them for Nice, but he's <laughs> he's done well. He's done well uh, since he he came through uh, in in January for them. Ishan Badawi as well. I think he's had a he's had a pretty good season. Uh, lots of quality in that Nice squad. Uh, just a quick what uh, result that we didn't round up. Ajaxio won. Marseille nil for Igor Tudor's last match in charge. Some disgraceful scenes as well. I think it's it's worth pointing out uh, their racist chanting. An eight-year-old Marseille fan with a with a brain tumor uh, and his family attacked. Um, but I have to say, this is not uh, a football problem. This is a societal problem, uh, and that sort of thing we don't want to see in football, but we don't want to see it anywhere. That's uh, absolutely disgraceful scenes uh, at the uh, Stade Francois. Cotty and elsewhere, it would seem, uh, for Marseille fans in Corsica. Ian, and just on um, just on a slightly more positive note, uh, Jaxio going down after one season, which was obviously very sad. It was nice to have a Corsican side back up in the top flight, but they did do the double over Marseille this season, which was uh, maybe their only high points, perhaps, in the campaign. Well, let's get back to the low points then. And the relegation battle, <laughs> Angus. You might want to. You might want to oh sit this one out. God, here we go. Yes, no, no. You might want to sit can't this sit one this out. out because I commentated the game. So I mean, uh, oh, <laughs> somebody's somebody's been doing the homework. So the yeah. things as it stood, as it stood prior to uh, prior to Saturday's final game of the season, Nantes against Angers. Nantes were bottom, fourth fourth from bottom of the table, two points behind Auxerre. But with better goal difference. Auxerre were at home to Lens. Angers, of course, already relegated. Angus, you saw the Auxerre game. I presume you were following at the same time the uh, Nantes versus Angers game. Just just, just take us through that. Well, it's a cliche, but it must have been true <laughs> as you were commentating that Auxerre game, that roller coaster of emotions on Saturday. Well, First of all, to continue the setting of the scene, I was very nervous about this game from the beginning, but not just that game, but also the run-in, because Auxerre had to take on Paris Saint-Germain, Toulouse, and then Lens as their final three games, as whereas Nantes had the, uh, the obvious advantage of taking on the worst side in the division for their, their final game. So it was always on the cards. As soon as Nantes went in front five minutes into their game, Ironically scored by Ignatius Ganago, who had left Lens in the winter to go to, uh, to Nantes. The writing was always going to be on the wall. And the problem is for Auxerre is that they just can't score. They, they created, I think, if I remember rightly, it was 15 or 17 chances in that game. And they only got like four of them on target. Um, Jean-Louis Laker did his best to give them a chance with an absolute howler in the second half where he, he was going to throw the ball, then changed his mind and then just plonked it 
in front of Mbai Nyang. But that was the only time that really Oser really looked like they were going to score. Plenty of chances, never really got there. And I spent most of the second half actually looking at the live score coming from the other game to see whether or not against Hope, Andre would be able to get a goal back. But of course, that's a bit like asking Oser to score, isn't it? So, I mean, uh, it was already already on the, the writing was on the wall and there were scenes, obviously, there was crying and um, there was even some outside the commentary booth as well on the pitch. But um, um, but obviously the scenes at Nantes were spectacular. I mean, it was like they, they just won the cup again. You know, the, the relief was palpable. Um, it was a, a terrific game. Don't get me wrong. I would say I've really tried, as they have done throughout the whole of this season before they've been relegated. It's the first time they've been relegated, actually, as a promoted side. Uh, it's only the second time they've actually gone down. But um, to be honest with you, when you look at their season, they just didn't really do enough. They gave themselves a chance. Christophe Palessier certainly perked them up. He tightened them up. They became a difficult team to beat. But the trouble is that they were never going to be a team that was actually going to win consistently. And in the end, that is what really paid for them. So also joining the four or part of the four going down to, to Ligue 2 next season. Just a, a quick point on Lens, and I think this is worth pointing out. 84 points mm. for Lens. Previous club record, 68 in the top flight. That is a, a phenomenal achievement. Only Paris Saint-Germain back in uh, the, the Monaco title winning season of 2016-17 with 87 points had more points without actually winning the title. So superb work from Franck Ayres. Uh, we're all big fans of him here. That's for sure. Andy, I think, is, is vying for the presidency of that particular fan club. Definitely, yeah. Great, a great, a great man, a great manager, and um, <laughs> destined for for great things. But hopefully, hopefully, he remains where he is for at least uh, another year. Somebody is probably going to be moving on. Elia Wahi, he'll be quite a capture for whoever he does sign for. Um, he getting a double as well. Nineteen goals. For him, uh, how on earth did he not get young player of the season? Uh, we will uh, perhaps debate that a, li a little bit later. Following Balogun, uh, 21 goals as well for him, the, the Rance striker, but uh, Rance losing on the final day of the season, 1-3 against uh, Montpellier. Uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, as uh, Stephen, our producer, points out, Teji Savania, 12 goals, the most for a midfielder in the division, four assists, four yellows and three reds. I think we can call that a well-rounded season for uh, also, but probably the, probably the man who uh, I would I would be the president and also uh, the caretaker and vice president of his van club. Um, I think that pretty much sums me up as well. Lorient two, uh, Strasbourg one. Frederick Antonetti having already uh, firefighted, as it were, uh, successfully. Uh, Angus, we're ready to make any bold predictions about Strasbourg uh, for next season. Um, they'll stay up. That's what I'm predicting. That oh, it, no. That's actually... <laughs> 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 given, given that you two for Champions League qualification and they've just stayed up, I don't think you yeah, should be exactly. giving them just to stay up because that, that's not going to end well. <laughs> <laughs> and it, a, note, a note about Roman Fever finishing finish the season uh, like a train. That's a, that's a French train, uh, not a UK train, uh, if I can just take a little dig at the, uh, the real, uh, real system in the United Kingdom. Four goals in his last four matches. Remember, he's on loan from Lyon at Lorient. I think that he'll probably be at neither of those clubs next season. Paris Saint-Germain, Clermont. It could only end well, couldn't it? For Lionel Messi, Sergio Ramos and 
potentially Christophe Galtier in their final, in potentially, at least for Galtier, their final game of uh, the campaign, of their careers, it would seem, for Paris Saint-Germain. Things not exactly going according to script, plan, schedule, although pretty much in the same vein as we've seen from Paris Saint-Germain throughout the the second half of the season. Uh, Andy, I think we will... We'll have a we'll have an entire pod on whether Lionel Messi was actually is was any good at, at, at Paris Saint Germain. Although it may well be a short one. Um, <laughs> I mean, l- rather, I mean, we can write off the result. Let's. I mean, it could have been worse actually for for PSG. I think that's that, that's pointed out. It could be pointed out. Uh, Clermont missing missing a penalty, but it wasn't really a fitting end, was it, for for Messi and Ramos and and, and most likely Galtier too. No, I mean, I think in, in fairness, I mean. I listened to Kylian Mbappe talking to Canal Plus after the game and he said, listen, the game didn't matter today. We could have lost 22-0. Uh, it, it wouldn't have mattered because the league was was over and it was all about paying tribute to Sergio Rico, um, which obviously he did when he, we went across to to collect Rico's number 16 goalkeeper's jersey and held it up after, um, after he'd scored the penalty. Uh, they unfurled a, a huge banner in the stand at the Pape des Princes of, of, with Sergio Rico on it because... Obviously, Sergio Rico still in hospital in, in Seville after that terrible uh, horse riding accident a week ago. So, you know, they're waiting for news on his condition. I think that's completely clouded and, and conditioned the last week of the season for them building up to that game. Um, so in that context, with the league already decided, difficult to think about much else. Now, obviously, yeah, it took away from the fact that it was Messi's farewell. The Messi situation was very funny, actually, because... Christophe Galtier said in his press conference on Thursday, he said, yeah, it'll be it'll be Leo's last game at the Pape de France. Obviously, I mean, I was listening to this and I thought, well, that's not news because we we know he's leaving anyway. But obviously, a lot of news outlets jumped on this and said, you know, the game is Messi's last game is going. And PSG actually, actually contacted um, a, a number of news outlets and said, no, 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 no. He didn't mean that. He meant it was his last game this season. Um, and then... Obviously, that was because they wanted to, to 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 control the communication, as it were. And so they released a statement at 7 p.m. on Saturday evening to say, "Merci, Leo. Uh, this is his last game, and 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 he's leaving the club." Everybody knew he was going, so it's it's not a surprise. It's not news. Um, and yeah, I mean, the whole thing was a little bit flat. But I think you know, listen, the Messi and Ramos thing. It's it's. As you said, we'll talk about Messi maybe more in depth another time. But I, all I would say is that I think it's been great for a lot of people in France to have the opportunity to see Messi. Um, he is very possibly the greatest player of all time. It's been a bit flat for me. Um, personally, I've been very fortunate to see a lot of Messi in his time in Spain. Um, when you think about what Messi was 10 years ago or thereabouts, you know he is not that player anymore. And I found the whole thing a little bit flat and disappointing. Um, coming to Paris Saint-Germain ultimately it's not really worked out from that point of view but I don't think it's necessarily been a bad thing for PSG necessarily in terms of their brand in terms of the spotlight it's put on them you could argue that it's that it's served a purpose no problem whatsoever I think on the pitch it's not it's not been what they needed at all and all I would say is that in 2020 when Messi was agitating to leave Barcelona um, Manchester City were seen as the club it was most likely destination. Uh, it didn't happen then. Pep Guardiola has said many times that Messi's the greatest player of all time. So why did he not try harder to bring Messi to Manchester? I think it's because he knew that it was not a good idea. 
at that stage in Messi's career and in terms of the Manchester City project, PSG never saw it that way and it set them back on the pitch and now it's time for them to move on onwards and upwards with a new team of younger, hungrier players who can maybe actually deliver them success in Europe because with Messi, it was just never going to happen. Yeah, I'd just like to say that uh, given Manchester Manchester City season, what a mistake that clearly was from uh, Pep Guardiola. He's only got that Champions League final to complete the treble now. Kylian Mbappe with a goal, his fifth straight top scorer crown, 29 goals, saying he'll be back next season to uh, try and beat Jean-Pierre Papin's record. Um, He's level with uh, the former Marseille striker with those five consecutive golden uh, golden shoes, golden boots, uh, whatever you get now. Golden slippers, I think, is probably given what uh, modern football boots are like. But we know he's going to be here next season. The question is, will he be here the season after that? Me, Jonathan Johnson and Fabrizio Romano had a little chat about that. Let's hear from the Italian transfer guru. So I'd like to welcome Fabrizio Romano to Le Bourget for the very first time, making his making his Le Bourget debut. Uh, bienvenue, uh, Fabrizio. Thank you. Um, Merci. <laughs> we see we seem to have wrapped up already the the biggest transfer news around Paris Saint Germain this summer, which is that Kylian Mbappe is staying because the man himself has said so. Lionel Messi almost certainly going, although that hasn't been confirmed. I think probably the question now is with with one M gone. One M staying. What about the N? What about Neymar? What's what do you think his future is at, at PSG this summer? I think there is a concrete chance for uh, for Neymar Junior to leave Paris Saint Germain. I'm sure they already discussed that internally uh, in their plans. There is the possibility to let Neymar leave after many years in Paris. So the idea is to part ways in the summer. Then we have to see first of all how the injury situation will evolve because this is something important for for the player and then what kind of solution they will find uh, we know it's not easy to transfer a player like Neymar with a very huge salary so probably it has to be a loan deal with part of the salary covered because it's going to be difficult to find someone prepared to pay that money for uh, for Neymar so they have to find the right solution we had rumors about Manchester City but I'm told there is nothing at this stage and same with Manchester United they are in the club sale process so this is not something imminent I'm sure this will be something for late in the window could be July could be August but the possibility of Neymar to leave Paris Saint-Germain is really concrete I would say. In terms of the the incomings expected for for PSG Fabrizio we know that back in January or at the end of the January transfer window Milan Skriniar confirmed that he'll be leaving Inter Milan uh, as a free agent and uh, will be joining PSG he's since picked up an injury that could impact uh, another high-profile veteran among, among PSG's ranks, uh, Sergio Ramos. Is there any, th- any sort of latest that you have on that situation and how it might change the way that PSG look to reshape the defence this summer? Oh, I think they include the possibility to have both players in the squad because Milan Skriniar, uh, as you mentioned already in January, had a verbal agreement with Paris Saint-Germain, a pre-contract signed, still waiting to sign the official one, but the pre-contract was signed in, in January. So he's prepared for this new new chapter in Paris. And for Sergio Ramos, they are in conversations. There is a talk going between Ramos and PSG to understand if there are the right, the right conditions to uh, extend the contract for one more season. They're happy with his leadership also into the dressing room. They feel that his experience could help the club maybe next season also, of course, in the Champions League. So the idea is to speak to Sergio Ramos also in the coming days and weeks and to complete the Milan Skriniar deal. So I think they will be busy with centre-backs in Paris. There's, 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 quite a, there's quite a big squad to deal with. Uh, it's not quite Chelsea proportions, Fabrizio, but uh, the, the, the PSG coach 
whoever he is, and maybe we'll we'll ask you that next. But there's got, there's a lot of players that are going to come back to, uh, to 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 Paris this summer. We talked about Skriniar coming in. Who do you see heading out? And and probably more importantly for for PSG fans, who's coming in? Many players are, are going out. This is the real priority for uh, for Luis Campos and for the club. Uh, as you mentioned, many players will return to PSG, uh, like uh, Leandro Paredes, for example, and many others who were on loan and now will return to the club and they will try to find solutions as soon as possible because they can't continue like this. Let's see what's going to happen in case of big proposals for important players like Marco Verratti. I'm told that Verratti is prepared to stay in Paris. He's not, he has no problem with teammates or with the club, but let's see what happens in case of big proposal. At the moment, this is not the case. But this is a situation we have to keep an eye on in the summer. And mentioning the, the signings, I'm sure they will be busy with a top striker. PSG need an important striker. They already wanted that last summer uh, to play together with uh, with Kylian Mbappé. So to allow Mbappé to play more on the left, as you know, better than me, he loves to play there. And so this is the idea of, of PSG. I'm sure they will be busy with midfielders because Bernardo Silva is a player they really like, which Campos knows him very well. Let's see if Bernardo would be open to that move or not. But Bernardo is a name for sure in the list of Paris Saint-Germain. And then I think they will try to complete something with more, more centre-backs. But I think the midfield is going to be the crucial part and the centre-striker because they need something important there. Yeah, I mean, we're talking a lot about sort of moves that PSG could make in terms of ins and outs, but a lot of that surely is going to depend on who is PSG's next coach now. We've sort of felt for quite a while in Paris that Christophe Galtier probably won't be continuing with PSG despite his desire to stay on. Uh, and it seems like PSG will be looking for a new manager for the second consecutive summer uh, is there anything you can sort of add from your end, Fabrizio, on uh, PSG leads at this moment in time? We've heard Thiago Motta being linked a number of times over the last couple of years. And it seems now that perhaps he has the most credible opportunity so far, given what he's achieved with Bologna in Serie A. Yeah, for sure, Thiago Motta is a name appreciated at PSG and really respected. Uh, he did an incredible job at Bologna, really. So crazy to Thiago Motta because that was complicated and he's been absolutely perfect. I would still keep an eye on experienced managers too, like Jose Mourinho, we know has a very good relationship with Luis Campos, but now he's busy with Roma with this big Europa League final, and then we will understand what's going to happen at Mourinho, for, for Mourinho's situation. But at the moment, he's still open. I would keep a percentage of chances also for uh, Christophe Galtier to continue at PSG, because the final decision has not been made yet. For sure, they want to continue with the same kind of system, so this three-back defense is going to be the identity of the squad next season, and this is why they are oriented on that kind of signings, on that kind of uh, players for the summer transfer window but for sure the idea is to decide in the next two three weeks uh, they feel that of course we knew about Galtier in uh, in June last summer but then everything was completed with Pochettino in July it was a slow process and this was not helping in the pre-season moment when you need to do something together with the board to prepare the new signings to decide on the contrast on the outgoings this summer the timing will be crucial so they will discuss for the new coach in the coming two three weeks and I think this will be in June this year. Well, it's interesting to hear you mentioning the three-man defence as well, Fabrizio, because there were some interesting rumours in France a couple of days ago that maybe PSG would look at Lance uh, Franquez after a phenomenal season uh, leading the, the Northern Club. Now, perhaps him jumping from Lance to PSG this summer is maybe a little unrealistic, but is he somebody whose stock has risen perhaps to the level now where he might be considered by a club like PSG? Yeah, he's doing fantastic. Then, as you mentioned at the moment, I don't have any information of negotiation with PSG, but I think it's normal for PSG also to keep an eye on players in Ligan who, who are doing very well in Ligan, like him. And so, for sure, he's one of the players who can have an important market in the summer. Again, I'm not aware of any advanced negotiation yet. 
But I think this is going to be very normal. League and level is, is very good now. And so it's normal to look at your own league and not just outside your league to, to sign players and to sign players who can help the squad. So nothing imminent in this moment. But I think this could be part of the future project of PSG to go for that kind of signing. We appreciate your time, Fabrizio. I know you're an extremely busy man and you're only going to get busier as the, the summer approaches. But just one one final question from me. Outside of PSG, I mean, France France is a breeding ground. Ligue 1 is a breeding ground of, 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 of a huge amount of talent, probably the most productive league in terms of uh, in terms of top talent and then moving elsewhere. Who else are you looking at to to, to move out potentially of Ligue 1 this summer and, and to, to sort of create big waves in the transfer market this summer? I'm hearing that there is a lot of movement, as always, on strikers. And so we have to keep an eye on Openda, I think. Uh, he did incredible this year, Lance. He's a fantastic striker. Italian clubs are keen on signing him, but also some English club is now approaching people close to, to him. So I think this could be a possibility to see Openda leaving Lance in the summer. Now there is Champions League football, so this is obviously helpful to try to keep the player and fight to keep the player. But it's not going to be easy because I'm sure there will be big proposals. And also, uh, I'm, I'm sure they will not sell both of them. But Seko Fofana is another incredible player, I think, for top, top clubs. Credit to Lance because they signed him in a very difficult moment for the player. We still remember when he decided to make that move. He was in Italy at Udinese. We were really surprised with that. Uh, we were not expecting Seko Fofana to, to do that move. But at the end, was the perfect smart move for, for all parties involved. And so... Keep an eye on Fofana too, but I'm sure Lopenda is going to be the most interesting in this moment. Well, one final question from me as well, Fab. Thanks so much for joining us. But there's a number of clubs who won't be playing European football next season. We already know that Nice uh, will not qualify. We know that Lyon are probably likely to miss out. And there could be another surprise name as well with the likes of Monaco. Do you expect some of Europe's biggest clubs to be looking at the clubs that man that don't manage to qualify for Europe in Ligue 1 uh, and potentially pillage them for some of their top talent? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think this is this is normal, no? Because when you have this opportunity with many talents, as you mentioned before, in Ligan is full of talents, talented players who can make their move uh, to to very big clubs. Maybe in England, for example, there are many many players in the list, so they are waiting to see who's going to qualify in Europe. But English clubs, also Spanish clubs, are keeping an eye on the situation, and so. I'm sure that could happen. Let's see also what's going to happen in terms of managers, because this is going to be crucial also to keep some players, to convince some players, and also in terms of directors. For example, at Monaco, I'm curious to see how will be the impact of the new director after many years uh, with, uh, with, of course, Paul Mitchell, now with Thiago Scuro coming from Brazil, doing an excellent job in the Red Bull group. I'm really curious to see how will be the impact in Europe, because I heard very good things about him. But now it's going to be a big revolution for many of these clubs, of course, at Lyon too, with these big changes coming, and uh, and we will see. Well, thanks a lot, Fabrizio. We'll, we'll, we'll let you get back to, to the, the wheelings and dealings behind the scenes, and uh, <laughs> we'll you. hopefully get to talk to you again soon. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Grazie mille to Fabrizio, and it certainly is going to be a very, very interesting summer at the Parc des Princes and right around Ligue 1 Uber Eats ahead of the start of next season, which, believe me, will come around a lot faster than you think. We're already into June. Normally we finish uh, in May, and uh, as I've just been reminded, Marco Asensio uh, rocking <laughs> up, it would seem, at the <laughs> Paris Saint-Germain on a free transfer. Uh, which wouldn't be uh, which wouldn't be a bad move, it seems to me. Quick uh, message from Matthew Woods. Matthew, you're my kind of man. Went to see Ren Monaco in round 37. Sex, drugs, and galette saucisse is uh, what he saw. He he said, uh, 
I saw this and thought of you. Uh, I, I'll take that very, very personally, Matthew. Thank you very much. And uh, actually, I was at uh, the local fair in my town here yesterday, and they had a Breton stand. Guess what they were selling? The final winner of the season for our Deja Who quiz. Of course, you're all on the edge of your seats. Uh, I don't know which seats, train seats, car seats, just your average seat at home to uh, know who has won this. The answers then to this month's Deja Who. Vitorino Hilton. Um, Vitorino Hilton, most league one matches for a foreigner. Wilson Aruma who scored versus Paraguay in the World Cup. Serial role. Well, his league and record, 16 red cards, 156 yellows. Uh, good going there, Serial. Uh, 27 reds in all competitions, 187 in uh, bookings. Sedu Keita, his uncle Salif Keita, African footballer of the year 1970. And Gaetan Uar, 1,176 minutes, 13 matches without conceding for Bordeaux back in 1992-93. The theme, all five players played for both Lens and Marseille, uh, who's round 34 clash, of course. The 2-1 home win for Lens ended up being decisive for second place and direct Champions League qualification. Our Ligue 1 Uber Eats jersey then goes to Jean-Francois Ottavio. Congratulations to you, Jean-Francois, or perhaps Jeff, as you're known to your friends. And so that's usually what uh, French people do. The team will be in touch to arrange delivery of your jersey. So well done, Jean-Francois, and thanks to our heavyweights in this competition, Davo T, Michel Marsen, Bert Gruel, and everyone else who made this contest so much fun this season. We look forward to hearing from you again and a host of new listeners when we return next season. You can catch us, of course, at any time over the summer on Twitter at League One underscore ENG. And please do, when you listen to the podcast, like subscribe and recommend us please follow us as well on all usual podcast platforms just uh, one thing to round up the team of the season we had a, a couple of at least for me contrasting con uh, teams of the season we have the unfp trophies team of the season that's the uh, the players union and of course l'equipe as well the main sports daily here in france um gentlemen i'll, I'll just run quickly through uh, goalkeeper Brice Samba for the UNFP, Anthony Lopez for Le Keep, right back Ashraf Hakimi for the UNFP, Le Keep say Frankowski, uh, centre back, both agreeing on Danso, but then Mbemba and then or Medina, left back Nuno Mendes uh, for the UNFP, for the Players Union and for Le Keep Ismaili, right midfield Kefren Turam had the uh, Players Union, Abdul Samid for uh, Le Keep, Valentin Rongier or Benjamin Andre in the central midfield role. Seko Fafana gets in for the Players' Union. Remy Cabela at Le Keypad. And then both had, interestingly, the same front three, Messi, Appenda, and Bappe. I don't think there's too much argument, really, about the uh, about the front three, given their contributions uh, to their clubs. A lot. Angus probably would like to bring Mbain Young into it for getting Orsay's final goal of the season. Well, and also for being fit again as well, which is nice. But uh, no, I think that um, Alexander Lacazette is a... Um a good shout for um, going up front. And I think I would say between him and Louis Appender, because his first season back in France has been nothing short of sensational. And that's in a team that really has spluttered all the way through the campaign as well, right the way until the end of the campaign. But to get that close to Kylian Mbappe, and also he's 
played a major role in bringing through the younger players as well, particularly Bradley Barkala, who has had a sparkling um, uh, rise to prominence and largely thanks, I think, to playing with Lacazette. I mean, those two have got a good understanding and you saw that with the goal that they combined together for the last week, which was absolutely wonderful. So I think Lacazette is well worth, he's a very notable mention in that, um, that front three. Luke, anyone missing, missing from there? I mean, no, I, I agree with the the front three. I think that append is probably the signing of the season as well. Um, I'm sure we'll get through the the various awards, but I, I would go for, for Abdul Samid in the midfield. And when I saw the UNFP, I was quite surprised to see Seko Fafana there. Uh, well, I'm not surprised. I, I thought they might go for him, but I, I do think that Abdul Samid over the course of the season uh, deserves to be in that team of the year more uh, than Seko Fafana. And that's despite that really needless red card that, you know, given that PSG only won the league by one point and given how well Lance were playing in that game at the time that's the game that actually maybe decides the title um, and and that red card really cost dearly but yeah for me Abdul Samid over Seko uh, Seko Fana. Controversial wow the, the only thing the only thing I would say actually is um, you know if you're picking the, the, the right back's interesting because I'm, I don't think Ashraf Hakimi has had a fantastic season uh, obviously, he's a, he's a great player, but I don't think he's had a fantastic season. And I think it's, I mean, it seems a little bit odd to me to pick uh, Frankowski uh, as your right back if you're going with a four, which is what Lickie, but I know Lickie do it based on their on their ratings over the course of the season. I would just throw one other name in there. And I, I'm throwing this name in there because the Lickie team also has Ismaili uh, at left back and Remy Cabela, which are kind of surprising ones. I would say that Bafodi Diakite, actually, for Lille, has, has been very good this season. Um, Coming in slightly unheralded signing from from Toulouse, playing at right back, very athletic, very strong. You know, he's been a, a fixture in that team in that position. Uh, he, he he, you know, I think he's probably got quite a big future ahead of him actually, and I think he's he's been a very important player for them this season. So, um, yeah, I would maybe maybe put him in at right back. But it is it is the case that you know the fullback positions are maybe slightly fewer options than than midfield and attack. I mean, obviously there there are guys like Ilya Wife or Aaron Balogun. You know who 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 could even make a case for getting in the front three. I mean, we've become so accustomed to Messi's brilliance, perhaps that that it hasn't necessarily seemed like an incredible season for him. But of course, he has turned it on in some pretty big moments. So I think he probably does deserve to be in there. Um, you know, it's it's hard to just pick eleven players. There's so so many excellent players, and and this is always the thing with with the French game. You know, people say people. The detractors say, "Oh, it's it's rubbish. It's a farmers' league and stuff like that." But then, but then this is where the the Big clubs elsewhere come and do the shopping because it just so happens that the players are absolutely fantastic and there's going to be a lot of really good players leaving um, League on this summer to, to move abroad, unfortunately. And, you know, likes of Kefren Turam might be moving on. Yusuf Fofana is a really good player, might be moving on. You know, Elie Wai might be moving on. There's a long, long, long list, but then more players will come through and replace them because that's always the way it is. I have another one to add as well. Um, it, I think the right-back um, position was probably the most controversial of uh, all of these with uh, Akraf Hakimi. And I think Jonathan Close is a contender as well. A seamless uh, move from uh, Lance into Marseille. And again, I take into account what Andy has said. If they're going to go for a back four, then Jonathan Close is more of a right wing back. But 11 assists this season. He is really added to that right-hand side for Marseille. And uh, he is consistently proving that he's top level. Yeah, I think I think just a, a, probably a, a slightly flat second half of the season for, for Jonathan Close when he didn't get into the World Cup squad I think that uh, probably took away from him, but I, I, I'd agree. I don't think uh, Ashraf Hakim was the best right back, but you can't really have Frankowski right back either because he's definitely not one. But um, 
probably the paucity of, of, of the selection due to the fact that most people play a back three, in which case I would have gone Grady, Danso and Medina because they yeah. had by far the best uh, defensive record mm-hmm. and they uh, have an incredible understanding. Those three um, pretty much should, should just come uh, as, as a unit. Uh, so 100, what, excuse me, 167, 1,067 goals this season, exactly the same number as last season. Uh, the core top scoring seasons since 82-83, 1,090. First goal scorer of the season, anybody? Tete. And last goal scorer, already mentioned. So if you were paying attention, which you, you three probably weren't, was uh, Reese Healy. Have you turned the and, uh, car? <laughs> yeah. And six strikers on more than 20 goals. Mbappe, Lacazette, Joe David, Appender, Balogun, and my favourite bargain of the summer, Strasbourg's Habib Diallo. Match of the season, gentlemen. The Leon, uh, Leon, Mon- Leon Montpellier, ridiculous uh, game. Lost Los PSG. Uh, PSG just schooling Marseille when everybody thought maybe Marseille can get close to them. I, I would, so, I mean... I, it kind of always conditioned by what you've seen, what you're watching at a specific time. One one game that I would mention is a game that I was at, lucky to be commentating at the Parc des Princes between PSG and Lille in, in February, which finished 4-3 to Paris Saint-Germain with a 94th minute, I think it was, uh, Lionel Messi free kick. That was an incredible game because I think PSG were 2-0 up. Uh, Neymar came off injured, that ended his season. Lille came back to lead 3-2. And then Mbappe got a late equaliser and, and Messi got that late, late winner. And of course, that was off the back of PSG winning 7-1 in Lille uh, in August. I thought that was a, a, a fantastic game and, and kind of said it all about the season, actually, because PSG have not been great, but have found a way to win the games that mattered because of the great individuals, Mbappe and Messi, uh, at the head of that. And Lille have been really entertaining to watch, but not always got the results that, that they wanted. And that's why they've had to settle for for fifth place, which is probably about right for them so that would be my pick for game of the season yeah for me that was also going to be mine I mean there's so many iconic images kind of from that game you know Lewis Campos coming down to the side of the pitch that was uh, just absolutely ridiculous but I mean the other one is probably for me going to be the Lance versus PSG you know obviously PSG was so so dominant prior to the World Cup and, and this game came just after the World Cup and uh, it did, did kind of give illusions that there would be a, a title battle, which ultimately there the kind of was and kind of wasn't, but it, it, it kind of really shaped the second part of the season in, in a very, very negative way uh, for PSG. And um, kind of just, yeah, I think summed up the season that Lons really gave PSG a, a proper run for their money, had no right to, uh, but did. And, and that was just a, a brilliant performance in Lons. Uh, as always, with an incredible atmosphere. And and yeah, really just set up the second part of the season, which was incredible for Lens and uh, not so great for PSG. I was just going to say, while Angus tries to sort through which of uh, Osair's eight wins were were his favourite, I was actually I was actually going to move on just quickly and, 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 and ask you, Angus, surprise club of the season. Who, 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 has, who has impressed you in a sort of quietly impressive manner? Well, it's easy to say Lance, but to be honest with you, Lance have been really good since they came up from League de, um the last three seasons. The only difference this season is that they kept on going all the way until the end. Seven straight wins was awesome. For me, the, the team I think that surprised most, bearing in mind that three teams came up from League de last season and two of them are making an immediate return, is Toulouse. What a campaign Toulouse have had. They've never really in any kind of uh, relegation trouble for the entire campaign. They have some really good players that they've covered through that sort of money ball um, 
approach. And I think uh, it's hard to pick them out, but I think Branko van den Bowman was absolutely fantastic in the midfield for them this season and winning the cup. I mean, I don't think anybody was predicting that at the beginning of the season. So for me, Toulouse have been the surprise success story of the season. Anybody else got a contender? I, my, my personal contender would be would be Clermont, who just 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 overachieved. Just I mean, this is this is just crazy. And it, I think what's interesting is that uh, Pascal Gassian uh, signed a, a contract extension, but only for a year. He's he's going to be there till the end of next season. Things are so clearly tied to him, and a little bit a little bit in a way that that, that Guy Roux became sort of became Osair. Pascal Gassian, the the their coach. Is is very much very much Claremont. You might have to uh, you might you might have to worry about them a little bit uh, once once he goes. But uh, I can see I can see you nodding um, in in agreement again, Andy. Which yeah. is uh, which, I'm obviously I'm obviously having a good morning here. This is uh, this is good. <laughs> Claremont finishing finishing at eighth mm-hmm. on fifty nine points, three points behind Lyon, ahead of Nice, Lorient, Reims, Montpellier, Toulouse. Etc. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you know, I look back to the opening night of the season, and and um, they got humped. Uh, was it five nil by PSG at home? I think the scoreline was. And I think one of the takeaways Messi overhead kick. I remember. Yeah, Messi's overhead kick, and and one of the takeaways from that game was obviously there was two takeaways from that game. One of them was that PSG were looking pretty good, and would we might go on to win the league. The other one was that I thought Clermont were were going to struggle. I mean, maybe that was a bit naive at the time because. You know, it just so happens that you can lose heavily at home to PSG. Look at Lille a couple of weeks later and still have a very good season. I mean, I, I thought Clermont were really going to struggle to to finish outside the bottom four. Let's not forget four teams going down this season um, is is unusual. And it's a lot of teams. It's it's a fifth of the league. And I thought they'd really struggle to finish outside of that. Clermont is a small club. They'd never been in the top division until um, until two years ago. And for them to be finishing in eighth place is 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 incredible. So yeah, I think they they are. I mean, we've talked a lot about Rance and Will still and the great run they went on, but Clermont have finished uh, eight points above them. So you know, uh, fantastic achievement for for what is not a big club and it's not a football city. I mean, the the, the rugby team is the is the is the biggest force in in Clermont-Ferrand. Um, so yeah, a, a, a tremendous achievement for them. And they absolutely rubbish the um, the philosophy, isn't it, of uh, second season syndrome. I mean, they scored over 20 points more than in their first season. It's the best ever second season for a promoted side in the top flight. So they have been very, very good, I agree. But um, yeah, there's been a lot of very good success stories in uh, Ligue 1 this season with a lot of good managers and a lot of, um, a lot of teams overperforming towards the top end of the table with, um, you know, like Lance and a number of clubs getting more points than they've ever been to be in that position. I think Marseille did the same thing, the highest ever figure being in a third place. So it has been relatively high quality. And perhaps that's also why it's kind of made Paris Saint-Germain look a little bit worse than perhaps they have been. Luke, a quick one from you. Character of the season, which which, which figure stands out from this campaign, stands stands alone as the, as the, the, the defining character for you of this campaign? I mean, obviously, Will still is, is a bit of an obvious choice, just the extension of that run week after week and all of the kind of the social media discourse around him. I just found quite hilarious about, you know, every time he won, you had to bring up the fact that he's been fined every match for for, for just sitting in the dugout. Um, can I just say as well, I would just say, uh, Will, if you're listening, I can very clearly lip read your swearing in English on the sidelines when your team your team does something wrong. Could you do it in French, please? 
because because the number of times I've apologized for Will still uh, clearly lip syncing naughty naughty words uh, is this season, and it's going to continue next season. So Will, please, uh, you know, clean up that potty mouth. Yeah, and I think a slightly less obvious one is Yusef Balaili. I mean, obviously he was up in breasts at the start of the season <laughs> because he just disappeared from everywhere. He was in breasts and you, you kind of said, okay, it's fine. You know, he clearly doesn't like, you know, life up there. It's a bit chilly. It's uh, in, in kind of, I suppose, in, in your ends kind of thing. But then he comes down to Corsica and he, he comes to Yazio and then disappears again. He's just uh, the disappearing man. It's, uh, it's uh, an impressive vanishing act that he's got on. But yeah, I just quite like that he's been at two clubs this season, vanished from both of them. Uh, I just kind of quite like the story. <laughs> That's a left field choice. Like it. Andrew? Uh, what for? A, for a, for a, an outside hero of the season? Well, I wasn't. I wasn't hoping. I wasn't. You know, counting on you doing a Belali and just literally disappearing. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> what about Patrick Kisnorbo? <laughs> he's he's. Are, are we just trying to out? Are we just trying to outdo each other in left field choices? You've just gone further left than Patrick Luke. Kisnor- I think you're just trying to annoy Stephen, our producer. Patrick Kisnorbo, who who is probably who's who's doing his bit for all those who've who've had a terrible, you know, who hold the records for the longest winless runs in in the history of the French top flight because he's got an incredible record coming into Troyes midway through the season and uh, not winning a game for the last four. Five months of the season, in fact. Why well, didn't win a game since what the second of January, something like that? I mean, just astonishing, and um, you know, not not a great advert for um, what the City Football Group are doing at Twa, because obviously he'd he'd been working down in in Australia, and 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 they brought him over to Twa, and I'm not really sure what they're hoping for. It's not worked out at all, but it's um it's given us it's given us something. It's given us you know it's entertaining sort of tallying up each week. Uh, how many games is it now since Twa won a match? So um, yeah, they're, they're the the perennial yo-yo team, and they're off off back to the second division. We'll see if they can come up anytime soon. Can I can I mention actually? Can I mention Luav coming back up to League One because um, it's it's great that that's signed and sealed now. Fourteen years they've been away. Um, I think I'm right in saying they're the oldest club in France to go back. You know, to the to the very origins of football coming coming to this country. And um, they've been away for a long time and their fans invaded the pitch at the end of the game at the weekend. They wrapped up the title and, and, and it's great to have them back. It's a nice stadium, the, the Stade Océan. And it's, it's, it's a very nice place, Lavre, actually. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a, um, it's an old port city. You know, it's got that edge to it, but it's also got a lovely beach. And it's a nice place to, to, to go and see the sea when you're, when you're coming from Paris. It's quite it's about the closest point on the coast. And, um, and it's a great stadium. So a great place to go for it, to, to watch a match next season. Uh, I just hope they can sort out the other promotion place pretty soon because I'm sure our listeners have been uh, keeping an eye on that. But the events in Bordeaux on Friday with that match being abandoned because a fan got onto the pitch and pushed over a Rodez player when he scored a goal means that uh, we don't yet know who, who's going to be going up between Mess and Bordeaux uh, with Le Havre. So that kind of sums up um, sums up the season in many respects, I suppose, and sums up what's been happening in French football for the last couple of years with too many problems um, in the stands, unfortunately. So hopefully they can get that sorted quickly. Yeah, without without wanting to uh, to to prejudice anything, you'd have to suspect that Bordeaux it's not going to end well for Bordeaux uh, and and Mets most likely joining Harve AC Athletic Club, uh, one of the probably the closest league and club to me now, actually, uh, up in Normandy. So I'm, I'm very delighted that uh, <laughs> if it can be very delighted that that they are. Uh, 
in the top flight next season. A uh, couple, just uh, two quick ones. Uh, breakout player of the season and best signing uh, in a couple of words. Uh, Andy? Best signing? Uh, oof. Luis Openda. Uh, is he also your breakout player then? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because because let, let's be honest, okay. he's not somebody I knew an awful lot about before he came. I mean, I mean that's maybe mm. naivety on my part because he was the the top scorer in the Dutch Eredivisie last season behind Sebastian Aller, uh, playing for Vitesse Arnhem. But but he wasn't a player I was particularly aware of, um, and and he's been he's been fantastic. So yeah, he, he is my answer. Angus, I'm heading back to Osea. Han Noe Masengo. Because very young, very young, came in has become very important under Christophe Pelletier. And one of the reasons I think why they got better in midfield and one of the reasons how they got themselves out of the mess that they were in under Jean-Marc Ferlon um, and gave themselves that chance on the final day to go. He had a couple of great chances to score his first ever league and goal, but unfortunately didn't get it. But I was very impressed with his um, ability to be able to hold a midfield and he'll only get better, I think. Luke? Uh, I, I do think it is a pender, but uh, if not, then Fuller and Balogun, who I did actually nominate at the start of the season as my breakthrough player of the season. So just to convert it into reality, I think these are players that have shown a lot of promise, uh, finally delivered on that promise. Uh, don't know where he goes next. Not sure if there's necessarily room for him at Arsenal. So many talented players there, but uh, lots of rumours that he may come back to Liga, and I think that'd be great for the for, for the division in general. And uh, yeah, who knows where France would have been without him and without Junior Ito as well. I think the recruitment there this season has just been uh, spot on, and I think has meant that they've had a calm season rather than one where they've been you know fighting relegation. Uh, so yeah, for me, either Appenda or or Balogun. I think I'm going to go re- breakout player of the season. I know he's been around a little bit, but Marshall Monetzi, I think, has had a fantastic season. Definitely his best. His best season uh, to to date. Tyce Dallinger as well. Elia Wahi as well, who'd been looking at, but now he's really he's really blossomed uh, into into a quality league up performer. Signing of the season, interesting. Alexis Sanchez perhaps uh, at Marseille did did really well, but I think probably it was a January signing. Adrian Thomason had a, had a big 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 influence at Lens as well. I think just gave them that little extra push that they needed and. Uh, Maybe controversial, but I think he's probably the difference between them finishing second, second and third. So that's it then. Le Bourgeois will be back next season to get you up to date with all the summer wheelings and dealings. I'm not, I'm not sure what a wheeling is. What, what is, what is a wheeling? Uh, certainly, that there'll be dealings. You'd have thought in Liga and Uber Eats, a huge amount of of ins and outs. We'll have 18 teams to talk about next season, including Le Havre, as mentioned. Um, Lance looking to build and maybe challenge for the title. That's going to be a toughie with the Champions League group stage as well. A new look PSG, undoubtedly. Will there be a new face in the dugout as well? It's going to be centred around Kylian Mbappe for at least another season. Marseille, Rennes, Lille, and uh, dare I say Monaco, hopefully uh, doing a little bit better than they did this season the uh, Principality side, he'll be in charge there as well at the start of the season in August. We'll take a look at it all across the summer and have our uh, expert opinion or, as uh, Andy might put it, conjecture uh, for you next campaign. So all you French football fans out there, bon vacances, as they say here in France, and we'll see you again in August. Au revoir and à bientôt. Neymar still! Oh my word!
He's getting Duzzi's head up. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. Messi again, this time maybe Messi's done it!